welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We're back. We are back, backer than usual. Little, little, little uh, inadvertent break, little scheduling snafu, me being out of pocket for a weekend when otherwise it would have been an optimal time to podcast. And, uh, but here we are, here we are back on the ground, the virtual ground on which we stand. The virtuous ground. Hopefully both. If uh, there's a, there's a, it's real, it's a real corny joke. Um, When you, early on, when you take control of Raiden in Metal Gear Solid 2, uh-huh. And you're still like, who the fuck am I? Why am I not Snake? What's going on? And then Colonel Campbell's like, you know, this is a, we're calling this the virtuous mission. And Raiden's like, virtual mission? And it's like, no one would ever mistake that. And they're just shoehorning in this because he had Especially VR Especially not then, right? Like, you know, not when mm. that game came out, you especially wouldn't have like, well, except there's a whole VR training separate. That is actually a, a major plot point, is that Raiden was trained in VR uh, as opposed to Snake, who was trained on the battlefield. And can right. you recreate a Snake uh, using just VR? Well, no, you can't. And that's why they needed the S3 uh, solid, sl- sake, bleh, solid Snake selection. There we go. Uh, but of course, no, that was the selection for social sanity, um, which is like a a big internet filter that uh, controls what people think. Just since destroyed, thanks to gotcha. the brave efforts of Raiden and Snake. Meryl was not there that time, but she could have been. She could have been. She could have floated down. You're always, you're talking about out of pocket and floating down. Moses, you <laughs> have become a TikToker. <laughs> No, out of pocket. I mean, I've used that phrase for a long time, but it floats down is the all the rage meme right now on, mm. uh, you know, the shit posting from soft uh, meme space, which is shitty Dark Souls. And it is apparently a resurrection of some old freaking I'm not even going to go all the way into it, but it involves the Moonlight Butterfly and the phrase it floats down. OK, because the Moonlight Butterfly does float down. Absolutely. And absolutely, I, I thought maybe it was a thing with like Blight Town, like all all the things float, less no, floating no. than sinking, I guess. No, and apparently, and then the entire office laughed, and like it, this was mystifying during a playthrough. Uh, it, I, I don't know. Look it up. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to do our listeners or you the favor of looking it up while we're podcasting. Like the <laughs> cast man, of the office. This meme is just fucking everywhere okay. revivifying shitty dark souls with the most nonsense most like weird uh, it, it's so weird and yet it has this it grows on you as should memes I, are, are prone to doing should i subscribe to shitty dark souls oh are you not on shitty dark souls on reddit no, no. yeah you absolutely should be okay the meme quality varies but it is definitely like the dark souls from soft you know souls born shit posting subreddit it's all it's all memes all the time mm-hmm. and um you know i don't know i'll give it like a one in 20 uh post is like something i'm glad i actually saw 
you know, Metal Gear Solid 2 was the, I believe the first time I heard the word meme. And I ah. think the first time for many, uh, like the, the thesis word for the first three games, uh, Metal Gear Solid is gene because it's all about uh, okay. your genes and yeah. Solid and Liquid Snake are uh, twin brothers uh, from the genetic material of Big Boss. Oh, gotcha. Uh, right, of course. Solid Snake received all of the, uh, what's the opposite of a recessive gene? dominant the dominant genes and and liquid received their recessive gene no and that's why liquid failed no it turns out snake had the recessive genes all along but he was still able to defeat liquid wait a second here so did they cast arnold schwarzenegger and danny devito in these roles or not because yeah Yeah. (laughs) like i'm seeing where this is going and the point of convergence is like it's blowing my mind twins yeah uh, and then uh, uh, Metal Gear Solid Two was uh, was seen as in the scene of yeah. the crime. Can you recreate the scene that would then recreate Solid Snake? Um, wait, meme scene. Wait, Gene scene. Oh, and then wait. Uh, anyway, meme, meme scene and Gene. Yeah, Gene's the first. The other two are, I guess, are a little a little nebulous in my mind. But uh, but gotta hand it to Kojima once again. Yeah, definitely ahead of that term becoming um, mainstream. Yeah. Meme yeah. stream. Um, yeah, okay. So yeah, meme is is Metal Gear Solid 2. Scene is Metal Gear Solid 3. And this is Paul and Moses' play, episode 83. It is our golden episode, because it's the year I was born. All right, all right. I was going to say, just... Three doesn't rhyme with seeing me more Gene, but I'm I'm in anyway. It's the slantiest of rhymes, which you know. It's episode eighty-three. <laughs> Eighty Gene. Because it sounds a heck of a lot better than eighty-three, because that just yes. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna choke on that one. Yeah. Well then of course the Dreamcast emulation, uh Bleem, has come so far. But here so we what are. What have you Moses. been playing lately, Paul? What's I... going on? Put a put a big old bow on Resident Evil Four. Um, enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it. Um, you know, the first third was a little like tenuous. Like, oh, am I anticipating things too much or thinking about what was missing too much? Um, but the the last third was really good. They they really pull some some twists and turns. There was one segment in particular that was like extremely difficult in like a fun, challenging way. Uh, much uh, a departure from from the original, um, and I enjoyed it. It it started to feel a little flat uh, throughout my experience, and I think partially that's because they sort of sanded off some of the weirder edges. Like mm-hmm. there are these giant statues of the uh, of uh, the Castel Castanellan Castellan guy the aristocratic spanish dude with a well he wears a tricorn hat in the original no hat in the in the remake um gotcha castilian but there are sorry castilian maybe um maybe it's in spain I, right yeah yeah i thought it was castellan uh i don't know it would be castellano um, in spanish so and what does whatever. that mean i that, that's like the name of the region or something okay yeah Makes sense. Uh, but there are these giant region? Yeah. statues of him with his hands going up and down, and you're literally jumping from hand to hand 
and like Ooh. the enemies are too. And it was cool. Uh, pretty goofy, but like plenty of that game is goofy anyway. Um, sure. So that's gone. This weird one-off encounter with this weird enemy and a little maze is gone. Uh, some other stuff was trimmed. So they kind of trimmed the weird, more like Gonzo kind of stuff. But then all you're left with is the shooting, which is great. But towards the end, it's kind of like, I'm just shooting. You've been shooting, doing shooting. this, right? Um, so, so mixing things I'm, up was... I, I, I'm suspecting that if I were to say I should play one of these games, you might actually tell me to play the original rather than the remake. I would. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Especially, I'm I mean, following that one away yeah. because that I, I, you have sung the praises of the original at length. Yeah. And um, I like the weird stuff. Yeah. If it's okay with you that you cannot move and shoot as opposed to slowly move and shoot like you can in the remake, uh, then you'll be just fine. And the game's designed I mean, around it, you know, so it... that's really what matters. I I also think we are okay, I don't like to think of shooter video games, whether first or third person, as simulation anyway, because it's a flawed, radically flawed thinking. So far. um but outside of being John Wick, mm. like the idea that you're running and shooting, which we do all the time in shooters, is nonsense. You right. can't effectively aim while you're moving like that. So just as the conceit of the idea that you're doing these actions that take place in real life and that these are your game verbs, I don't on, fun on a fundamental level have a problem with the fact that it says, no, you got to stop to shoot because yeah. it's like you would actually kind of have to shot, Probably, stop yeah. to take a decent shot. Right. You, you need to be through Keanu Reeves level training. Um, yeah. Or whatever the actual, you know, military or paramilitary equivalent of it is. I, I mean, I watched a clip where he was doing some of the training for John Wick 2, I think it was. Yeah. And yes, he's fucking moving and shooting and hitting targets like crazy. And it's yeah. bonkers. Well, it's John crazy. Wick. Like, it's John Wick. It's Keanu Reeves who has put yeah. himself through through the ringer. And and incidentally, I did see John Wick 4 since the last episode. And fucking, I, if you're into that sort of oh, thing, I'm... it. I'm into 100% it. Hundred percent delivered. It was so amazing. Cool. I love the first two. Yeah. Uh, three back, was I... three is the soft spot of the series. But anyway, going okay. back to uh, well, I, uh, shooting zombies or I can't believe you didn't say being. You said being John, and then you didn't say Malkovich, which is so uh, fucked. Like I lost that opportunity John for sure. Like, what? Um, you know, I am no lover of guns. I know you feel uh, approximately the same. Um, guns, in fact, in society are a scourge. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I do find myself surrounded by guns living here in the good old U.S. of A. And yes. um, my girlfriend, Laura, is a hunter and she's got uh, a few guns. And I'm like, you know what? I want to kind of if if especially if I'm going to be in a house where there are guns, like I just feel like I should at least have a refresher. Yeah, on, absolutely. On guns and, and gunnage. And so, yeah, we went out to her uncle's range and I had a nine millimeter handgun. And boy, is it hard to aim properly yeah. and hit a target. I'm like 12 feet away, just just not even whiffing, on target. Just whiffing, like, right? And it's I know much, that I'm much I'm easier. Anticipating, I'm anticipating it's much easier the... with, with a rifle. I mean, okay. in, in my experience, it's been a long time. Hmm. But in, in my memory, shooting a handgun is actually significantly harder than shooting a rifle in terms of aiming. Okay. She has a, a rifle, which we didn't take out, and which I think I'm too afraid to fire because she says it will bruise my shoulder and like i don't necessarily with the recoil you know i don't yeah. necessarily need that um but it really like 
and it it was actually fun and i kind of want to do it again which uh i mean i figured it would be kind of fun uh doing shooting, that shooting her, real but... guns is actually fun this is yeah. the part of the problem Right. there's a fundamentally disingenuous and maybe it's not actually intentionally disingenuous, but when we get into the conversation about guns in this country, I believe that it is um, either subconsciously, probably mostly subconsciously disingenuous. People conflate the fact that they really enjoy shooting their firearms with the arguments that they're making about second amendment rights or about mm -hmm. personal safety. But underneath it, if you strip it down and you could like talk to them about it while they were sleeping if they're or at, under a truth serum, it, I think I think most hardcore Second Amendment activist types would, under those circumstances, admit that they just love shooting guns. Yeah, it's fucking fun, and, and that's understandable. Yeah. yeah, you know, nothing wrong with that. So uh, yeah, but um, but yeah, so yeah, put a put a bow on Resident Evil Four, and I'm that's kind fun. of in the in the wilderness now. Um, need something to play and i'm like okay vampire survivors dlc great i uh, had a good run and it you know frame rate started chugging i could tell my machine was working pretty hard uh with all the bullshit on the screen finished the run quit the game got to the gray screen of apparently death and my computer will not boot anymore no. i i turn it on and it revs up to like max and just does nothing your computer um, did not survive. No. And there's probably some troubleshooting I can do. Maybe open it up, make sure everything's secure. Yeah. But it might, I don't know, it might be dying or dead. It's an old-ish yeah. machine. Um, so Is I, this I a don't... Mac or a Windows machine? Oh, it's a Windows. I do have my oh, my MacBook, which I I can play Vampire Survivors on you that. You can play Vampire Survivors on yeah. that, but it yeah. you can't play a ton of stuff on that, unfortunately. Right. Um. So I'm like, you know, I think I'll probably go back to Persona, even though I kind of don't want to. But I, you know, I dumped 70 hours into it. I, I want to finish it. It's just the grinding and the combat has not evolved. Like yeah. it did evolve the first few segments. It's like, oh, shit, they're adding more interesting tools and feedback. But now it's like, OK, you're you got your party, you got your stuff. Do it, you know, and yeah. it, which is fine. But I'm just tired of that um i will tell also... you after listening to icb talk about it like i don't have the bandwidth for this because i have all these other fucking games i'm trying to get through and i'm not making progress on them but you and i both need to play rain world rain oh yeah rain world yeah yeah that and that cool. is on uh that is on playstation and okay. um and it's like 20 bucks or something yeah yeah good call on that um depending on timing i might i might uh, see about that tonight um and then uh, yeah, yeah i also was uh yeah yeah go on because zero is you know i i stopped playing that so i could fully devote myself to persona but yeah. now that i'm leveled out on that i'm like i should probably go back but i'm in this kind of fucked up segment where you are with this blind lady and uh -oh. just That's not a good start they're not making jokes at her expense really but it's close enough, <laughs> but really the thing that the thing that really sours me, and it's a small thing, but it's so unnecessary. It's like why your character is not an asshole. Why does he do this thing? You know, you you lead her around by the hand, um, and you're you're going, and then you get into combat, and it's doing the intro combat animation bit, and he like shoves her away, like like medium soft 
shove to kind of be like, okay, you go here and be safe. But like, you don't have to shove her. And it's just so insulting looking. Yeah. And it's kind of more of a shove than it needs to be. Like, it's, it's like, not like they, they narratively or visually made it so that a, a shove felt necessary. Totally. Totally. Like almost or, like the writing was there and somebody was just procedurally following orders uh, without like. Yeah. And just each time you enter comment, it's like, why don't you like put her hand, put your hand on her shoulder and like reassure her and then turn to face the dude with the baseball bat or whatever. Like, it's just he's like, man, don't be a prick for no reason. Like, yeah, uh, kind of sours me on it. Um, otherwise, that's that's pretty much been it for me. Um dipped back into Disco Elysium because I want to do another playthrough with all the new stuff. But I just don't know if I can. New stuff, you say? Yeah, they added, uh, when they added all the new voice lines, so like every oh, yeah, yeah. of the 15,000 lines or whatever is voiced. Um, yeah, they've they fleshed out some quest lines, especially the political ideology uh, okay. uh, quest lines. They, they improved those. Um, not to mention, there is stuff in that game that I never came close to seeing, like you know, I yeah. never found my gun. I never even had a lead on where my gun was uh, the entire time. <laughs> and uh, uh, but and similarly with uh, Outer Wilds, I'm like, you know what? I just want to fucking play this game again. But similar to Disco Elysium, like the genie's out of the bottle. Like, yeah, it is fully player curiosity driven. And I know kind of what happens and I just can't motivate to like do it again, which Maybe I can see that more time. With, I can see that with Outer Wilds, which you know I'm in right now. Yeah, and I uh, haven't had a good. I I want chunks of time to play that game. I want to sit down with knowing that I have like at least three hours that I will actually devote to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe two is sufficient, but like if I've got half an hour guaranteed, and then beyond that, I don't know if I'm gonna have time. I'm not gonna jump into Outer Wilds. Can I? But say... I see what you're. I can see what you're getting at though with Outer Wilds, having now played it. Yeah. Uh, substantially more than I did in, in our last episode where like there is so much discovery. Yeah. There, it, it is such a discovery driven game in terms of the experience of it Yeah, that I could potentially see like it, it's partially a personality type thing and partially like, what do I have to do with my life that I'm going to justify this mm -hmm. uh, in terms of whether one would be inclined to go back to revisit it after you have unpacked the mystery box um, and discovered all the weird little moments. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, the uh, I've only visited two of the planets at this point. Because let me fucking tell you that learning to pilot, you were like, it'll be easier when you're piloting the spacecraft in real life. I'm like, well, a little bit, yes. And yes, it's possible to land because it has landing mode so that sure. you can go in and switch the camera to where you're actually landing. And it is, it's a good feeling and it's interesting. Um, and yes, I have died a couple of times uh just out in space like when you hop <laughs> out of the ship without your i did that once uh no i hopped out of the ship and um so fucking help me gravity is real <laughs> and there goes my ship yeah there's no way i'm gonna be able to accelerate to get back yep. to it i love um, how much you can fuck yourself and they can yeah like, okay my ship is eight thousand meters away and yeah. i have two minutes of oxygen like I'm oh, okay I, yeah. I, maybe i can find some trees somewhere on wherever yeah. I, the environment that i'm in um but one of the two planets that i went to is the binary one yeah um and finding the dude there playing you know his instrument and like 
Oh, and him giving you the pointer. Oh, yeah, you might want to go explore over in this area where there's the old ruins. You know, mm-hmm. the process of doing the initial touchdown, the process of traversing to find that guy and knowing like, I'm not going to make it on this run. I'm going to have to come back and re-land. But now I have an idea when I come back to this binary planet of uh, what I should be looking for because he's given me the strong lead. And it's that kind of game where the discovery of it is really what's driving and carrying you forward. And it's exciting and it's well-written as fuck. Yeah. Um, it's not... I can make an argument having not finished Disco Elysium that Disco Elysium, if anything, in a way is... Uh, has more strength visually than Outer Wilds does as far as environments that call you back to to see them again. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it's it's they're drastically different. Like one has pre-rendered backgrounds. One is simulating different. an entire solar system in three D. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, they're drastically different. And I'm not belittling Outer Wilds, um, but it's like you're willing. It, for the, the the discovery process, uh, including the physics-y aspect of it, you're willing to forgive uh, it being uh, a little cruder mm-hmm. visually. Um, also, all you want is 3D, right? <laughs> but yeah. within uh, against the contemporary landscape of 3D games, Outer Wilds looks a little rough, right? Yeah. Um, but it's very forgivable because it's doing a lot of other things. Right. Um, Disco you've got, a, you've got like, a comet yeah. whizzing by you up above, you know, like... Right. And it's all real. It's all there. Like it's all happening. Whatever that impact is that happens when you wake up, that I don't know what it is yet. Probably. Oh, has something I love to do that. I love how every every thing that I discovered starts. in the uh, on the watery planet and fuck landing on that watery planet. By yeah. the way, I have to go back there because I didn't finish it all in one go. Oh, um, certainly, certainly not. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I covered a lot single... of ground, and I really, really like the the way they do the gravity in the water. Yeah. In in that area with like. Not to mention they've already introduced that there's some gravity defying uh substance. They introduced you back on the on your home world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense. You recognize if I walk around this corner, I will suddenly be walking flat on this wall. Right. Basically, right? And that's so nicely executed. Um so anyway, while you were on the topic of Outer Wilds and Thrill of Discovery, I just thought I would drop in yeah. my Outer Wilds play. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you mentioned you want and two, three hours uh, at yeah. a, a chunk, which maybe uh, not three, but like at least a couple. But I mean, does the fact that you are you can only do twenty-two minutes at a time, like does that change you your know, perspective I was going to on ask that? Ask about this because I was pretty sure that that was the case because of like only two times have I had what felt like a completely arbitrary death. Okay. Um, and one of them felt way more arbitrary than the other one. Um. Because that was the one when I got my ship stuck on the home world. I crashed it awkwardly by the observatory. Whoops. <laughs> and I'm like trying to get around to figure out an angle to repair it. And then suddenly I'm dead. And I'm like, that was weird. Hmm. Didn't feel like I should have died there. But yes, the time loop aspect of it now makes sense. So, I mean, have you, sense. I mean, you've no doubt seen multiple supernovas at this or uh, whatever it's called. I have not been position to witness them exactly okay so like maybe once but a lot of the time i've been in something but you'll hear the music the music gives you a two minute oh that's you hear that that sad music start you're like oh shit that's what that is yeah i haven't been through i i've just been through enough loops that i have not made that connection with my brain but as you're telling me i'm like okay yeah 
So that is a little bit of a changer, but no, honestly, like I want at least two runs to go. So that means at yeah. least an hour to go, basically, you yeah. know? Yeah. Because the game's compelling. You die and you're like, I want to explore something again or explore something different because fuck the thing I was just trying to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and there is some of that for sure. There is some of the like, well, okay, fuck this planet. I'm going to go right. try and explore that other planet instead. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every time you, and uh, you, well, especially if I mention it now, which I'm going to, the way in which you die uh, mm -hmm. determines your startup awake noise. Oh, like really? if you get, if you suffocate, instead of like waking up, like you'd be like, <gasps> you know, you'll take a huge breath. Oh, because you, you get crushed, you'll make a different that's noise. the last you, thing that you remember before you the... burn to death, you'll make a different noise. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. That's a great touch. Yeah. The game is really richly designed. And I think this week is going to be a good week for me to actually really push forward on it. Yeah. Um, and, and make some, some serious progress. Awesome. Yeah. I, uh, uh, and yeah, actually, any any other uh, like Outer Wilds uh, insights since uh, we last spoke? No, nothing big. Um, you know, like I said, so I've explored, I've substantively substantively explored two of the planets at this point: the water and planet are... and the binary planet. The the first planet and the binary planet. The water planet. The water planet. Okay. I don't know if that's really the first planet. Uh, well, I guess um, Timber Hearth is what I. Would I'm not call counting Timber Hearth here, although maybe I should be, um, because obviously I. I mean, I've I, I've walked around where you start. I have not tried yeah. to land elsewhere on Timber Hearth yet. Okay. Um, so I don't count that as substantively exploring Timber Hearth because, yeah, you know, it's round. There are other sides of it. Right. There is an interior of it. Um. Yeah. So uh, yeah, else, and I can't uh, remember either of their names. And I didn't manage to journal that last time I was playing. So. Well, there's Ash Twin and Ember Twin. Right. Okay. So it's I guess those are technically two planets, and I spent a little bit of time with both of them. And then the uh, of, uh, Giants Deep is the water. Giants Deep is the water planet. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I and... have not found um, the other astronaut on Giants Deep. Okay. But I did find the astronaut on. I think he's on Ash Twin. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he says like, "Oh, you've got to go over to Ember Twin. That's where the stuff is that you really might want to go look into." And the good correctly. news is, if you forgot that or whatever, like your ship's computer, your ship's log actually, will, yeah, uh, retain that. Um, I do also love the name of the uh, the progenitor race. Um, blanking on their uh, on their name, the Nomai. Again. Yeah, Nomai. Yeah. Um, the way they handled the writing, the script for the Nomai, is, yeah, and and scanning it and discovering it is just super fun. Oh, cool. it's like this this ongoing blossoming conversation that it's you... a conversation, yeah. and it's like it carries the con it carries the concept of a very different type of written language, mm -hmm. of a written language that specifically developed to be like discursive instead of um to, you know to to be a monologue or whatever, right? Like our right. written language is to create a log in a sense, first and foremost, it's like mm -hmm. a, an individual, uh, you know, uh, scribing and, uh, and the way they've represented the know my language is specifically like, no, it is inherently discourse between two or more people. Right. Collaborative and these, these branches that, yeah. Yeah. So really cool, really just a very imaginative game. I'm looking forward to pushing, pushing through on it. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's funny because I've got a lot of tempting distractions um, in terms of other games I want to start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, 
or finish for that matter, because it's funny you mentioned Disco Elysium. I've had it on my mind a lot lately, uh, as I think I might have teased on the last episode. And I'm really not going to say much about this until I have it far enough down the road to be somewhere. Um, I'm doing some game design right now, and the game design that I'm doing will have plenty to learn from Disco Elysium. Um, that's all I, I really need to say about it. Actually, I can say that um, it has a, uh, a definitely is going to have a point and click adventure component to it because that's the least imaginative, least progressive thing about the design that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, I've been thinking about Disco Elysium a lot and how I haven't finished that game and how I really fucking need to yeah. because it took a modern approach to doing that style of game and completely like with a, a really substantive refresh for what it means to do uh, that style of adventure game. So I really do need to get back to Disco Elysium as well. Yeah. But there and... is one game I may take a break from all of it to play, but that game is pretty fucking short. Um, ICB has been doing this video game book club thing, which is why I've been talking about things that are not baseball in relation to ICB. Um, they Their most recent one was... Um, uh, Night in the Woods, which does sound like, in spite of the fact that the game's kind of spoiled for me now, I still feel like I want to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they're currently doing, planning on the next one being Titanfall 2. Okay, yeah. And given the genetic lineage to Apex, right. but also given that it, the campaign mode of it is supposed to be like five hours, and not like it's the kind of game that can take you a lot more than that, I may have to detour and play Titanfall 2. I've heard so many people say that it's one of the best shooter campaigns That's, like uh, basically yeah. ever written. I've been hearing that for for a decade, so. Yeah. yeah. Although apparently the the multiplayer which was also supposed to be great and having incredibly high skill ceiling is like horribly bot broken, but oh okay. well. I'm not concerned with that. I play Apex. <laughs> Just kidding Titanfall 2 players. I really wish I really wish that Respawn would fix it for you. <laughs> uh any any other gaming goodies before we move on i mean i'm gonna talk about it a little bit when we get to uh what i love about but uh just as a preview of coming attractions i did a, a getaway this weekend up to arrowhead to a house that oddly has a rule that says don't have house parties because it's totally a party house with a pool table a foosball table okay and well. two of these like two stick arcade simulator with like 500 or a thousand or more games that you can load up off of them um, and so I did some retro gaming um, a little bit over the weekend, and it was totally fucking delightful. And I'll get into that in just a little bit. So you you had a hoot nanny. It sounds like not a not a we house did party. A, no, no. I mean, it, it, there were I think thirteen of us there, twelve mm-hmm. or thirteen of us. Um, and it seemed pretty clear to me. It's a party house. It's designed for people to come and hang out with family or friends and enjoy themselves. And the don't have a house party rule is. Probably specifically, don't invite a hundred people because you could easily fit them in this house. Mm-hmm. Don't be like doing a throwdown with loud music and bands and DJs and shit. You yeah. know, yeah. So That's fair. you know, yeah. No, we're we're mature adults um, for the most part, as in not an aspersion to any individual of my friends, but all of us collectively are for the most part capable of being mature and adultish. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of mature adults, uh, two mature adults are about to embark on the first segment of the show it's time for game ranks rank it up moses yeah so this week uh i'm going to take another dip back into my early apple 2 although others would have 
experienced this on the Commodore 64 game playing, um, published by Electronic Arts, developed by, I guess, Freefall Associates. I'd forgotten about that. And released in 1983, it is Archon, The Light and the Dark. For those unfamiliar with Archon, at first glance, Archon appears as though you're looking at a chessboard. But Archon is not remotely fucking chess. Um, Archon is what you want chess to be when you're a kid who can't play chess mm-hmm. because chess is too goddamn hard. What you have in Archon is a board on which you move your pieces. And then when two piece, when a piece would take another piece, you instead swap into a totally different screen where you fight. <laughs> and the pieces have different powers. And so, you know, with a pawn equivalent piece, you're unlikely to triumph over, um, you know, a, a knight or queen equivalent piece. But it could happen. It's not binary. But it could happen. Hmm. Exactly. No, it's, it, it, it's very skill-based at that point. Interesting. Another really important factor. This game was so imaginative. The graphics are so fucking crude, right? Because again, 1983 computer game. Um, but uh, the uh, the uh, board actually shifts too, hmm. and so the colors of the um, of the squares shift to privilege light or dark. Uh, you know, it's not like black and white; they're not symmetrical. In fact, the two sides are, are totally asymmetrical. And on what they refer to as the strategy sque- screen, um, you can have uh, white squares, black squares, um, white cycle squares, which is most of the, like the majority of the screen, um, and then what are called energy squares. Hmm. And the light cycle on the strategy screen changes constantly. So um, they change their brightness, basically, and your strength... Uh, depending on if it's more light or more dark, uh, will vary for your piece when it is on uh, on one of those squares. Mm-hmm. So you can, in fact, put yourself in an advantageous situation where the most of the pawn equivalent pieces on the light side are knights, with the exception of at the uh, far sides there are archers. It's, it's very odd. Um, you know, most of the dark side um, pawn equivalent pieces are goblins, except at the ends are manticore. Um, and even between them, like your knights and your goblins are really similar in terms of the attack that they do, but they're not identical. Um, so I don't know. I could go through this at some kind of a depth describing all of the different attacks that all of these different characters do. Uh, you know, each side has a uh, a caster, uh, a wizard for the light and a sorceress for the dark. Um, and they're like kind of the, you know, the the main character. I can't remember if the wind condition, the, I think the wind condition might in fact be taking the, uh, is the wind condition just annihilating your opponent? I don't remember if the wind condition is annihilating your opponent or not. It's funny, I should know that. But uh, be that as it may, um, it's a pretty fucking wild concept for a game that was extremely well executed and was super fun to play and was versus. So you'd sit at opposite ends of the keyboard uh, with your sibling invariably um, or friends. Um, 
and like this was a game with hours and hours and hours of play and entertainment uh, and frustration of mostly being beaten by my older brother. <laughs> but um, like what a cool concept for a game. And so it's absolutely a, a lasting hit for me coming in at number 77 uh, as my 80th ranked game. Would you say that if you have two relatively equally skilled players and there is a, a mismatch in the pieces who are fighting? Yeah. Like, is there really any hope for the player who's at the disadvantage? Like, is, is there tension there that they could win or is it sort of just a formality at that point? So that depends on a lot of things. Uh, the mismatches can be uh, substantial or mild. Um, you know, like, um, let's say it's a substantial mismatch. It's sort of a foregone conclusion at that point, right? It is sort of a foregone conclusion at that point. Uh, but if I'm recalling correctly, your health carries. So if you badly damage, like if you okay. decide to burn some of your, uh, goblins, uh, you know, say against the Phoenix, um, if I am remembering correctly, uh, the damage actually will carry so that you could like help burn them down. That would make sense. Yeah, seriously injured character is easier to defeat in the next fight, so says the Archon C64, Archon entry in the C64 wiki. Um, and there's also a thing, the um, Wizard and Sorceress can cast spells on the strategy screen. Ah. Sounds pretty dynamic. It's very dynamic. It's very dynamic. It's really wild. The magic spells are teleport, heal, shift time, exchange, summon elemental, revive, imprison, and cease conjuring. Uh, that's a way to leave the menu. Never mind. Um, <laughs> My favorite but spell, like, cease conjuring. Cease conjuring. <laughs> but like shift time, for instance, because as I was explaining how the um, how the the uh, not all but uh, but some of the squares shift, right? And so you can shift time so that you're gonna like put the uh, other player at a disadvantage if you're trying to like move in on them or force them to take a move instead of uh, attack, to take a defensive move to take them out of threat when they were planning on uh, on coming and attacking you, that sort of thing. Hmm. And how much, I mean, I, I imagine you played quite a bit if it's coming up on your rankings here. Oh, definitely. Cause this is one of those uh, Apple II games that from, I mean, so it was released in 83, we probably had a computer. Like I probably played it the first time when I was like nine, eight or nine. Uh, Cause we probably had a computer in home running it by then. And it's one that I would like come back to on the Apple two GS um, at least into high school, you know, at least into slash through high school. So mm -hmm. yeah, I played this game a bunch. It's one that I think about periodically when I think about like old game designs that have a lot to offer to contemporary designers and thinking about when, whenever you hear someone as a player, especially uh, saying like, Oh man, nobody's making new games. You know, everything's the same out there. Well, like, first of all, that's like patently untrue, but also there are games that you can look to, to think about from an inspiration standpoint, like, okay, but what games exist that have done just weird batshit stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that dovetails gracefully into my uh pick for this right. week provided you have uh stated your piece on i have indeed on archon the light and the dark archon the light and the dark um well coming up for myself 
in my number 80 ranking is Blast Core for the Nintendo 64. All right. Do you even like know what Blast Core is? I guess. Have you heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it. And I'm trying to figure out when I. Yeah. Oh, talk about game. talk about a game that did something new like <laughs> and the premise of the game is so absurd there is a runaway nuclear <laughs> vehicle <right. laughs> that is slowly trundling its way across the united states <laughs> and the only option is to destroy every single building in its path because if it if it so much as touches uh, <laughs> the hair of a building it uh, it blows everything up yeah, yeah. Um, now I, I'm I've never played this game, but I am now remembering talking with probably Dan Norton about it a long yeah. time ago. This was like a or possibly gold, you, like a gold star rental. Like we just loved renting Blastcore. I'm not sure if I if I ever owned it, but um, the the first vehicle you start with is a dump truck, and only the dumper part of it, if you will, is effective. So what you have to do is these gnarly drifts where you drift. And you swing your back end into buildings to, <laughs> to bring them down. To be too easy, I mean, you do have a bulldozer for this, but it'd be too easy just to like ram into stuff. You got to get up speed, get a good angle to your to your whip around. Uh, eventually, you get a, a mecha uh, that you can pilot and just fucking nice. plow through shit. Um, I mean, dumpers like to dump. Dumpers like to dump. Pumpers like to pump. Pumpers like pumpers pump be actually. pumping. <laughs> pump, 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 pump. <laughs> Pump is better than tumblers. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, eventually you get a mecha. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel like there were like 200 stages. It was one of those oh things God. where like you rent it and you just know that you're set. Like this game is vast uh, uh, and my skills are, are low and I'm just going to like hammer away here. Um, well, and if uh, the Wikipedia glance that I just took is any indicator... It's not just a question of your skills being low so much as the uh, maneuverability of your vehicles being, like, painfully difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, your skills uh, are intentionally, this is not, it's a game that wants you to not be really wonderfully precise, that you have to really earn it. For sure, yeah. But when you get it down and you do a sick peel-out, you know, drift through, like, six warehouses with your dump truck... Uh, just in the nick of time, you know, um, and yeah, I didn't really like do any research or or watch any trailers or anything. I'm purely going off memory, but um, it was bonkers. Did you say it was it was rare? Yeah, it was a rare game. Nice, which kind of explains it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, gotta gotta give it up. But as I continue on with our rankings here, and it gets more and more difficult to parse out because, like, I need to rank Bioshock, like. That's a huge game. It was really yeah. important to me. But if I think about Blast Core, I get a little surge in my stomach. <laughs> and if I think about Bioshock, I don't. Yeah. And that's kind of what it's coming down to these days. So uh, that is why Bioshock is my new number 80. Uh, Blast Core. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Blast Core. Those B words, you know. Yeah. I actually keep running into the same problem. And that's actually how I wound up ranking Archon this week because I was like, that's a damn exciting game. And there are other games that have more polish, but like, or whatever. There are other games that I know I want to rank someday, 
but I'm excited to rank this now. So that's why it's going to yeah. get ranked now. It's going to be a good fit, you know? And so I, I, I really hear you on that. It's, it's so funny. I did not anticipate it getting this difficult to rank games while we were still in the top 100. Yeah. I know it's like 100 is arbitrary, but, um, you know, there's a, a variety of factors that keep making it hard for me to rank games. Mm-hmm. I keep looking at the list going, no, not that one this week. Not, yeah. I mean, eventually, but not this week, you know? Well, speaking of B games, did you ever play Battle Chess? I did play Battle Chess. I did play I... Battle Chess. Perfectly good chess game with great fun graphics. Fun gra- and and music. And... and music, actually really good music, yeah. I loved, and there are probably more than this rattling around in my in my brain, but each side there was the white side had more positive sounding music and the black side had the more sinister oh sure and i will probably to my deathbed remember the pawn uh music so the white pawn it goes dun 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 and then the black yeah yeah oh my god oh wow yeah i had not remembered it but your rendition of it brought it fully back yep. to me. Well, do you remember the black pawn or peon, if you will? Uh, it was dun 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 dun. Man, that's a yeah, trip. man. That's yeah, a man. trip. Yeah, and the yeah, rook and that's was so like brilliant. a that's so... shifter, shapeshifter. Yes. Yeah, you'd get up yeah. and like walk over and yeah. like munch things and stomp munch. on them and such. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very, very clever. It was just at the end of the day, I was still playing chess and I still suck at it. Oh, chat, man. Still sucked at it then, still suck at it now. I mean, why play chess when you've got bug chess or Maya chess? That's what I want I mean, know. you know, I just don't aspire to be that smart. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like learning Latin. It's like, it's all already there. I, I don't need to do this. <laughs> I think we've maybe even touched it on the pod before. It's like there are so many people out there that are so fucking good at this game. There are people who are 10 years old who can destroy me at this so hard. And it's not like getting destroyed at a FPS by a 10 year old where it's like, yeah, fine, whatever. Like you feel stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just like, I don't know. <laughs> and for me, it's less that and it's more the fully prescribed written out nature of the first 20 moves of any game that chess is fairly solved and if i don't know it i'm i'm performing suboptimally and i guess if both people are then that's fine but then what are we doing it's like trying to play baseball and you can't play baseball like it's so fucking rare for me to find someone who i will wind up having an enjoyable chess game with where they have enough knowledge that it doesn't just devolve into a stupid bloodbath Mm -hmm. right because when you're playing against somebody when you're at like roughly our skill level, so to speak. I'm going to make an assumption that we're at a somewhat similar skill level of chess. When you're playing against somebody who's just a little worse than you, they're not so much worse that you can easily beat them, which wouldn't be fun anyway, right? Um, Like the, I'm teaching you how chess actually works and that's why I'm beating you. They're just good enough that they can make it bloody and messy and and you know just enough that that's not fun. But then if I'm playing somebody who's just a little better than me, then they just destroy me. Right. Then it's just an assassination. And it doesn't matter that they're only a little better than me or yeah. a lot better than me. It's going to go the same way. It's yeah. going to go very badly for me. So like finding, uh, it, you know, without investing in learning by like literally reading chess guides until I've memorized enough for the front part of the game 
to get to matter. that level, yeah, the front matter, if you will. Um, so not, I'm not saying I'll never play chess again. I'm just saying that it's like, it is not calling to me. Yeah. Well, what is calling to us, I believe, is the next feature of the show. It's time for what I love about. Yeah, so I, I didn't even bother writing down whatever the name of the fucking console emulator box is that I was playing games on this weekend with friends, but um, it was a great dip back into retro gaming, and I'm not going to go too long on this feature today, and I'm sure we're going to revisit this at some point down the road. Uh, the emulation quality on the different games varied, but I'm just going to pick out a couple of things here. Um, what I love about retro gaming is how it can do one of two things for a game that you have fond memories of. It can either reinforce the quality of that game or it can just strip it down <laughs> to recognizing just like, wow, this is not a good game. And I'm going to start with that. It was enjoyable, hmm. but, you know, so you have infinite quarters on an arcade game functionally in this, uh, in this setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, my buddy Charlie and I, uh, he actually kind of had jumped onto it. And uh, so um, we rose from our graves mm -hmm. and we played some Altered Beast. And I've got to tell you, that game is really fucking stupid. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty lame. Yeah, It's really not a good game. And all of the fond memories of it are really anchored to the arcade experience where, okay, yeah, the graphics quality was really good for when it came out. Um, but also the difficulty of it in proportion to having to pump quarters into it in the first two levels is pretty well dialed in. Yeah. But leaving aside anything about the conceit of the game, uh, which God only knows what the hell it's really about anyway, um, it's just really pretty bad. <laughs> but it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to to play through it and to beat it. Um, it's a good game to laugh at while you play it. Like It's totally worthwhile it. if yeah. you're going into it with that that mindset and, and it was fun and like charlie's like oh come on you got yes you're altered beast yes mm -hmm. you know and it's like yes and it's like you get to the the dragon stage where you're like just flying around like electrocuting everything around you and it's, right. it's like it's enjoyable in the sense of having no challenge whatsoever to what it. does the bear do doesn't the bear electrocute too oh maybe the bear's the electrocuting one yeah yeah because he kind of hunches right. a little it's not like a squat but he kind of hunches a bit and electrocutes mm -hmm. his body which electrocutes his enemies it, it works, I guess, yeah. if you're an electric bear. Yeah. Um, now, high contrast to this is um, Ghosts and Goblins, mm. which the two uh, console stations, one of them had better joystick than the other, and I was playing Ghosts and Goblins on the one with the worst joystick, and that was a mistake. Um, that game is so impossibly fucking hard. Like, I literally thought I would be able to do better coming back to it as an adult and I probably could, if I'd been playing on the one with a better joystick, it probably would have made a world of difference. Um, specifically because part of what makes that game so fucking hard, part of it is the design, which is good. Ghosts and Goblins is in fact a good game. The fact that I died repeatedly and couldn't get out of the graveyard does not actually diminish it um, in my estimation at all. Uh, I still think it's actually, it's actually a very good game. But the jumps are very difficult to do to be able to both have the you know the forward movement and the jump to jump over shit it's mm. actually genuinely hard to do and like i 
seriously underestimated the raw difficulty of it. But at the same time, in dipping back into it for a minute, I was like, you know what? This is a good game. This is legit a very good game for its time. It's extremely well designed. It's stupidly difficult, but it's extremely well designed. And if I had more time, I would jump over to the other console and boot it up over there. Mm-hmm. But I'm also hanging out with friends and having a beer and so on. So, you know, um, there are some other games I could talk about, but no real value in doing so. I just wanted to pick a couple of those retro experiences uh, as illustrative examples of just how diving back into that retro experience with something that you have played can uh, can have that kind of nice bifurcating effect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know they re-released Ghosts and Goblins uh, recently, and I watched uh, Video Game Donkey's video about it mm-hmm. and just the crushing difficulty. Um, and then actually, similarly, Altered Beast, uh, back before Giant Bomb was not something I cared about when it was still something I cared about. Uh, right. Uh, Vinny and uh, Dan did a, a playthrough of Altered Beast, and it's just so funny because there's one segment, uh, maybe I can send you the YouTube, someone did a compilation, where in the space of six seconds, like, they lose, like, four men, like, falling in pits, and yeah. you get that amazing, oh, oh. noise when you fall yeah. into a pit. Um and just the the mounting like frustration on their parts, uh, because they they oh it, the feature was called this is the run and the conceit was that episode this was the run where they were going to beat the game even if it's the first episode of the new game it's like no yeah. this is the run this is we're going to do it gotcha. and you know so they only did one attempt per week uh, and you know eventually made it through but. Um, what a what a weird I there's gotta be some stories there with Altered Beast. Like I I, I think a know. big part of it is that game was really designed to munch quarters. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it couldn't have been a better game in theory, but it was like expertly designed as a quarter muncher, which yeah. actually made it a little bit bizarre as one of the games that you could get with the Sega Genesis. Also true. <laughs> like this is a mismatch. Yeah. <laughs> like but maybe that was just the like, hey, these graphics look good compared to stuff before, so we're showing off a reasonably good looking game. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, with that, I believe we will press ahead to the next feature of the show. It's time. Or wait, did I do what I love about? No, I no. was gonna say, Paul, you got no love this it's week. It's time for what I love about. And what I love about <laughs> uh I guess Tekken 8 are these promo uh, little trailers that they're doing here. Um, as I... Uh, I did play tri- a little Tekken 2 and a little Tekken 3 over the weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, I haven't uh, watched any Tekken 8 trailers. It's it's all about, and I doubt I'll play much Tekken 8, if any. It's all about this announcer that they have. Um, so it's like two guys are going to punch each other on the mat, and their punches collide. And then it goes into the thing, and it's like, Tekken 8, new challenger! Like, he's so <laughs> fucking amped. Uh, so I'll, I'll just play, I think I've got four here that I'll I'll share with with you all. Um, there's the stomp and the punch. Cheering. Unreal Engine, of course. 
Of course. Get ready for the next battle. Section eight. Ooh. New challenger. I had a little buffering there, but you you get the idea for Jin. I do. So that's Jin. Bringing Jin back. Still Unreal Engine. There's a little extended intro. She's got her Yeah. If you know the character, you would immediately. Right. Get ready for the next battle. <laughs> Section eight. New challenger. Going somewhere. Nina Williams. It's just so so over the top. The I do gravitas. like the decision to uh, just keep the gratuitous cleavage on Nina's character in spite of the times. What? It, oh, video games. Right. Why? Oh, Japan. Get ready for the next battle. Section 8. New Challenger. Kazuya Neshema. <laughs> just like I want him at my birthday party or something. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> What's he announcing though at a birthday? <laughs> like friends as they walk in. Happy birthday! You know, I don't know. <laughs> Forty years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Paul, it wouldn't be a Tekken game without my namesake and his amazing hair. Marcia Still Unreal Engine. Get Still. ready for the next battle. Destroyer. New Challenger. Punches through a brick wall. Paul Phoenix rolls up on Phoenix. a motorcycle. Heck yes. Absolutely. His hair has fallen over, but it is still majestic. It is so majestic. They're um, they're making choices. They're making choices with Tekken 8. Yeah. So I mean, I'd be happy to to play some Tekken 8 with you. I'm not sure if we if we ever will, but I just I just fucking love those character uh introductions. If I had to make a guess two years from now, it will be part of PlayStation Plus. Uh right. maybe three years. Uh would be an opportunity to eventually pull it down without or on sale for twenty dollars or something like that in a shorter right. period of time where it's like, yeah, why not? Tekken's have been fun. Tekken 7 fun and what else is fun but the actual next feature of the show mm, there it is it is time for tell me about and Moses this week I would ask that you would tell me about uh, which video game creator it can be a director producer whoever uh, would you most like to have a social engagement with uh, like a, a a predetermined. It's not. This is not a, a happenstance meetup, but this is a 
you're going to do this with this person. Uh, who would that be? And what social event or fun thing? Uh, uh, it could be dinner. It could be axe throwing, whatever. Uh, would you like to do with them? I know this is like the obvious answer, but it's Miyamoto. Miyamoto. Like, Not Miyazaki. Yeah. No. Hmm. No. Um, now, granted, I haven't really seen interviews with Miyazaki. Um, so that might tip it. And I have seen interviews with Miyamoto. Um, and his, how he carries himself, how he speaks, the, the kind of, he carries a, a kind of relaxed joy about him. Yeah. And his design brain is, I mean, listen, we can give credit to a lot of different people as being like, the father of video games, but it's kind of hard not to give it to Miyamoto. Like without early Nintendo, how would games be what games are, you know, mm -hmm. without those, those titles, all of which he like formed on the NES, like they dictated the trajectory of game design for basically decades. There's been a lot of other important stuff that's happened, but um, I was going to say it would all be, Gianna sisters, but without the Mario brothers, there wouldn't have been Gianna <laughs> sisters. Yeah. So yeah, it's all who knows. So this is like an odd choice, but I would like to go for a walk with him at like a park with a playground hmm. and like be able to sit on a bench where there are like children playing nearby to be able to discuss play and hmm. like delight and like just to be in a in an environment that both has some natural beauty to it, not wild natural beauty, obviously we're talking about a park, but that also has a playfully designed space um, where like playing its most unstructured is taking place and it's most natural, which is to say childhood. It's not that adults don't naturally play. I strongly believe that they do, but we have a lot of social, you know, norms that make play different or weird or affected for adults. Um, so it's kind of an odd choice for a setting as far as what the social engagement would be, but like a children's birthday party at a park mm -hmm. uh, where we just happen to be at the park that day. Uh, and this event is taking place where uh, whatever is happening and is playing out between uh, between these kids. And yeah, I mean, it's creepy. We're watching strangers' children. Maybe maybe it's a family member or a close friend of one of us and it's their children. Uh, that, that probably makes it substantially less creepy. Let's go with that. Maybe it's baby Mario. <laughs> maybe it's a baby mario i don't know um but yeah i think that if i were to um specifically for this context it's obviously with many other designers that's probably not the choice i would make for the social event to do with them mm -hmm. um but i feel like with miyamoto-san that would be like the way to go mm -hmm. to be able to have a, an environment that could be a, a groundwork for some really interesting, stimulating conversation about play and life. It's like, do you see this child? They're they're performing terribly at the slide. Like, how could we make <laughs> the slide a better? You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Or like, uh, you know, no, no, notice how that child is able to enjoy this slide um, without concern about the limitations of it. That it is only, you know. 10 feet long or whatever right mm -hmm. yeah um and like 
or even just the different ways that that different people uh, interact with with their own environment. Uh, yeah. You know, how the different adults are interacting with the kids or willing to let themselves go and be playful while others feel they must be, you know, holding off, you know? Yeah. I dig. I dig. Um, yeah. I've got to take a note on this one. I'm going to have to bring this one back to you in a couple of months when yeah. you're not uh, not kind of planning for it. Right. So, yeah. Because yeah, that's a great, that's a great, great question. Uh, Do you have a sense sure. of of... I don't know. I guess, I guess you covered it, like, in the context of 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 general like play. Do you have an example of maybe a question you might pose, or 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 the way you might start a certain line of of thinking? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd be very curious. And like the the playground is like an opportune setting, but so is say having trees and grass and such around and fields and whatever to uh, to be able to take any one given thing, whether it be like two people, uh, you know, playing catch with a frisbee, you know, orchid on a slide or whatever it happens to be, and say, you know, for you, does is this part of your inspiration? And if so, you know, where does it go? How do you, how do you start here from, uh, from this, this moment of experience, this playful moment that you're seeing, you know, how does that stimulate your process, uh, as you start thinking about game design, you know, yeah. is it part of the front of your inspiration or are these things in the world around you, things that, that nudge you when you're stuck on a design problem, you know, how, how, how does it intersect? uh you know play and even just action and interaction in the real world with thinking about about design in, in game spaces yeah nice yeah and there's so many i mean there are some designers i've had the privilege of speaking with and there are so many designers who i'd love the privilege of speaking with mm -hmm. you know that's absolutely a, absolutely a thing and i mean it does also get weird because you don't have a lot of outside of indie passion projects these days. You don't have a lot of like kind of auteur designers who have the space to really lead in a public way. Mm -hmm. It do doesn't come up as, as much. It's far, far less frequent than it used to be in the earlier days of video game design, where there were these certain individuals who rose to prominence, right? Mm-hmm. And and developed a certain high regard. I mean, some many, maybe even most of them, are actually still in play. Right. But um. But that's al That's also part of it. It like. Uh, Miyamoto is a, a, participated in history. And, in a way that is now. I mean, shoot! I want to see the movie. <laughs> I know it's going to be big and dumb, and I know it's going to be really fun. So. You know, yeah, it's like you should definitely see the movie. Like culture has been shaped by something that started uh, as this curious idea uh, that this man developed with his team. You know, just when you're bragging about recognizing the Charles Martinet cameo in the beginning, make sure <laughs> you say Martinet because the temptation is to say Martinet because obviously mm. it's Martinet, right? No. 
Smart net. I mean, I just want a martini now, but <laughs> but that might be because yesterday was delayed tax day. And mm. Paul, I would like you to tell me about oh, how video games could help make the experience of doing taxes better. I mean, there are a lot of different angles with this question. I'm not asking you to design a video game that does your taxes. I think that came out this year. I think you need to be able to prestige your taxes. Go on. Like you've done your taxes 10 years in a row, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and like you've, you've done them well mm -hmm. and now you've filled up the meter and you're going to start over back at level one. You're going to prestige, but you are in a, a higher tax bracket. And by that, I mean a lower tax bracket. Uh, the more successful you are at your taxes fills up that meter more and more to where you can eventually prestige and be like, okay, no, I'm only making 36 K like you, you know, you gotta, you gotta cut me a break here. Um, the other way it could help with taxes is on a day-to-day -day level in terms of like your purchases. Okay. Um, uh, or, or maybe even your paycheck, or maybe both. But it is, uh, it is a. You're not playing a game, necessarily. Or, or no, this you're is not like playing game, gamification, right? This is a gamification tax, right? There's no, there's no game involved, but it is more a, a, a. You are leveling. You are, you are filling a meter. That's really all it needs to be. Yeah. You are filling a meter, and there could be an overall meter that's like. Lifetime taxes paid, and once you hit seventy-five k, a hundred k, whatever, you get just a, a little something. Like you get a, a new costume, but it's literally they mail you a shirt and pants and shoes. Like I like it. Your, I'm a I'm a good citizen. I like my libraries and my roads. Yeah, type person. You know. Um, do Do the costumes become increasingly costume like? So that, that way, when you're like an elderly taxpayer, you can wear something really outrageous that the IRS has sent you for being like a good a full taxpayer. On, like lime green, like skirt, but like a, a full length skirt mm -hmm. and big old cat eye librarian glasses. Sure. And that's because you have officially funded a library all on your own just with. with oh, taxes see, I like this because maybe you can even maybe it's like even like um, like skill tree style. Yes. You, you get to select something based off of what you're most proud because, you know, your tax dollars don't you don't directly choose where they go to. It's all, uh, you know, a giant, giant a tub of money that the government does things with. Um, but I like the idea that you can say, like, hey, well, these are the these are the projects that are funded. So what do I want to identify with as part of being a good tax paying citizen? Yeah. Do I want those? Uh, what were those sunglasses called that had like the Venetian blind Oh, I have no idea. I just think of them as those like weird eighty sunglasses. Yeah, you can get that with an American flag. Okay, love yeah. you know buying bullets for the the guns for our sure they've men and women, <laughs> or uh, or you get the 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 cat eye glasses with the beaded uh, glasses necklace if in yeah. case they fall off. Uh, a stretch of highway, perhaps uh, could could play a song with the grooves in it. You know, based on your. I think definitely the the highway worker vest, but it's not it's in a different color, so it's not mistakable as being an actual yeah. construction worker vest. Really, the what it comes down to is all all you really need because like each year you pay your taxes, you're like, well, okay, nine hundred dollars, bye bye. 
But if mm-hmm. you had a sense of like lifetime taxes paid and you were building up this meter and when you hit mm-hmm. various milestones, you get various rewards. Like, duh, this is how we incentivize people, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel like I nailed it, but I'm trying to think of other other nuances there. But No, I think you nailed it. It's I mean, more, it's a, yeah, drawing other together – you know, as a as a as a whole work instead of these disparate years, like you're actually building to, like maybe two million dollar lifetime taxes paid. Not that like you or I ever will, but you get. Well, I don't know if you're that rich. Maybe you don't need to get a thing. But I I uh, hesitate to say this, but it, <laughs> I mean, you know, government taking like twenty percent off, like even when you're not making that much, it'll add up over time. Yeah. Yeah. It gets depressing real fast if you actually add it up. So maybe not quite two million, but <laughs> I mean, lifetime earnings. Well, anyway, that's enough of that depressing thought. <laughs> maybe there is a like a, a folding at home style, like for the for the greater good of everyone. Uh, you you are you are doing this thing, and you can even. There can be a, a a challenge where like fold this many proteins, you know. I don't know. I don't know how to how to directly relate it to taxing uh, taxation, but like it just feels like a like a bucket, like a stupid bucket that I don't care about. I mean, it feels like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. Let's be honest. And right, I know I know it's not. I know yeah. that there is not, in fact, a hole in the bottom of the bucket. But that's kind of what it feels like. So yeah. If it wasn't for our utterly ridiculous military budget, I would be way happier. Because I like libraries and I like oh, roads God, and I don't like get me started. Care. The worst part isn't even about a question of funding the military. It's about a question of how much waste there is with military oh contractors. God. Yeah. Toilet knobs. seats and toilet paper and pens. Yeah. And things where these are normal everyday supplies. And some contractor has this thing where our military is paying like five or 10 times as much right. as we pay buying them at freaking like the store at Home Depot. These no or... bid contracts. Yeah. 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 I mean, once you're, it's a once you're in, you're in thing. It's crazy. The amount of wasteful spending that our government does is bonkers, is mm-hmm. just bonkers. But yes, um, leaving all of that aside, I think these are great ideas for how games could help inspire improvements. To the experience of taxes yeah just legacy legacy milestones that's all people need like you're you're, you're building towards something building towards a better america i'm paul berberich okay. and i endorse this message <laughs> i don't think do they do that anymore i never see commercials do they do they say i endorse this message granted yeah. it's been a while since there's been an election year but yeah um so I think I wind up seeing those when I'm watching stuff on Hulu, which I have only have the ad supported version of. Mm. And so during campaign season, I'll wind up seeing some of that. And there are some of them that have, have that version of things. Also occasionally uh, because of how bonkers some like Arizona Republican long shot candidates video is right. like, I'll occasionally see it cross posted through social media or something, Got you know, they're running around with guns and, things and blowing random stuff up and like it so you know yes i have uh they they do apparently still do that sometimes they do exist as santa famously has said about the m&ms and about m&m <laughs> and about m&m and we're gonna uh, mr mathers take take heart santa claus believes in you
He does. Not the other way around. Maybe someday. But for now, I believe it's time for the last feature of the show. It's time for Make My Game. Coming from Auto Pedal Studios, which I think is kind of pretty. I picture like a flower. I did need to clarify whether it was petal or petal. It is petal with a T. Auto petal. Yeah. And that's what flowers do anyway. They don't, they automatically make more petals. So it really, uh, but anyway, uh, we have (laughs) Android mercenary, which. That's all just Android mercenary. Yeah. That's really pretty tame. It's fairly uninspiring. I mean, there's, there's, there's something to be explored with like giving, I don't know, giving a, a an otherwise sentient being you know uh a contract but i don't know listen man. if you tell me an android mercenary is a character in a game and i mean if we really wanted to dare ourselves we could say that there's an android mercenary in the game but i'm going to veto it because i don't think it's enough to go on although as i said combined with something else an android mercenary could spice something up right well speaking of spice uh this is pretty spicy with Twisted Chocobo Munchers. What? I mean, the big downside to this is it it locks us into the Final Fantasy universe, I assume. Wherein I've never played a but... Final Fantasy game, but I do know what a Chocobo is. So it, I think it could still be something to go on. It depends on how you feel about it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I mean, at first blush, I see a Dr. Mario-esque puzzle game where you are hmm. some... Some factor of it munches the completed chocobos that you, but it's twisted. Okay. What I about like somehow graft a, a hungry hippos, hungry, hungry hippos element into this? It doesn't make sense at all, but the munchers. Hmm. Do you remember columns? Oh, yeah. So what about columns, except they, they twist around each other like a, a DNA helix? Now that's interesting could that make the puzzle element more interesting where's the chocobo part in this twisted chocobo munchers so unless like the chocobo is the dr mario-esque part where like really this is a final fantasy themed offshoot style but it's a puzzle game so we can discard the chocobo and being in terms of any concern with game mechanics whatsoever. That's probably it. I, I think the chocobos are munching your completed output as opposed to being munched, which is really what the title actually suggests uh, that they are being. Like you were talking about someone who munches a chocobo. And of course, they'd have to be twisted because who could munch such a divine beast? But I, I'm definitely seeing the, the puzzle game part here and like so you have a a connect three puzzle game like how do we expand on that to me the only way is thematically like through what they're divine beasts but they're also kind of just giant chickens well then they're they're not even divine beasts i kind of just said that uh they they might in certain representations they're pretty like gorgeous right Sure, sure but in other representations they're pretty much just large chickens yeah Large, slightly ferocious, maybe chickens. Right. But still very chicken-like. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm featuring deep fried chocobo. <laughs> okay. 
as somehow this could being be a cooking the, the tying the yeah in, in terms of like what is the the level completion animation kind of moments of this game maybe maybe the background is that you're a, a chef who specializes in cooking but no it's not because good. that's like not talking good. about it's eating bad. horse i mean people do yeah. it but you don't celebrate it you don't celebrate it you don't um, it's true you don't so oh right i i let's revert back to even though it's grammatically less um kind of uh suggestive from the the structure of it that yeah. um like hungry hippos the they're they're munchy chocobos they, they so they're, they're there could be four vertical lanes each with a hungry chocobo beak at the bottom okay yeah and so okay so instead of in tetris when you make a line it's like this was a line across the whole strata of this thing it's like Oh no! You 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 want to make a specific line for this specific. So for the first level, you've only got four lanes. Yeah, because this is actually going to add a lot more depth to the game as it uh, as it proceeds in terms of colors um, and how many lanes there are. Yeah. So where you're trying to uh, to form your different lines and puzzling aspects um, as uh, as the game proceeds uh, on each level, it's really going to depend on which chocobo you're trying to feed. Right. Okay, yeah, and maybe you wanna you wanna save you wanna fill up a specific chocobo last because he's got the bonus that will eliminate all the green squares or or something like that. Um, yeah, that's I think that's compelling. A, like this making, is starting uh, to be a compelling uh, yeah. puzzle mechanic. Or yeah, depending the different color chocobo can have different effects on the field of squares, um, depending on when you you feed them. So sometimes you've got like a final goal to like get this one fed last other times you're really trying to feed the red chocobo early because you know it'll do an explosive effect that'll clear a bunch of the field for you and allow you to like you know each one can can do different kinds of uh kinds of effects yeah so as you clear because you're you're not necessarily clearing the lines at the bottom where the chocobo's mouths are but i think regardless you clear a line in column one it it feeds that chocobo and then builds up their meter to do eventually something. Yes. And to make it a little bit more complex, what you start to understand as the game proceeds is that um, different color matches for the, will have different effects with the different color chocobos. Um, and it's not just a matter of feed the yellow chocobo, yeah. yellow uh, munchers. Guys, right? greens. What, what's that? Uh, Geishal greens are what the chocobos eat. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I guess you'd call them Geishal reds. Munchers. <laughs> Geishal I, munchers. They're munchers. So, I, yeah. it definitely, you know, yes, this is might be out of universe, but it, it's getting a twist because it's in the title of our game. So okay. the things they're eating are definitely called munchers. Also, okay. because that just sounds delightful. Who doesn't want sure. a bag of munchers? I mean, not me, because I do. Munchers love to munch. <laughs> munchers <laughs> gonna munch. Munchers better than tumblers. Wait a second. <laughs> better than, better than. <laughs> oh my God. I, for the like, I don't know, small portion of our listener, small listenership that knows what we're talking about, they're eating this up, much like the chocobos mm -hmm. are eating these munchers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's all we ask. Uh, so I do kind of like this where you have to focus in. Because if you think about Tetris, like you put the yeah. block in the empty space that makes the line, right? But that 
particular space is in a specific vertice of the board and yeah. and all we're really doing is adding effects to whatever vertice you trigger by by completing the line in that space yeah absolutely but we're also taking it out of tetraminos right uh we're we're freeing ourselves up um and that's why i think columns was a great reference yeah uh for for kind of thinking about the style of game it's not a match game it's not it's not like a match three game right um you still have uh we're still going with kind of the falling yeah you know falling filling thing but um but more columns like or um God, I can't remember. Lumines uh, is yeah. also a viable kind of reference here. A so game I really need to go back and play so I can someday rank it. You say Lumines. Lum well, I've always heard Lumines, but... Oh, really? The first but, uh, person who told me I had to try playing this game called it Lumines, and so consequently I've always called it yeah, Lumines. Yeah, makes sense. But that actually brings me to my, my larger point, which is, as you call them, Tetraminos, they're tetraminoes. They're tetraminoes because it's like dominoes. Everyone says tetraminoes, but it's it's tetraminoes because they're like dominoes. I'm I'm sorry, but perhaps in Russia you say dominoes. Perhaps <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just one of those things I've noticed. Over wow, time. I'm going to be thinking about this tetramino thing now. It's going to well, be see you're already saying tetramino like it's so it, natural. it does roll off the tongue nicely yeah. so you know because dominoes oh. are yeah but, but anyway. nonetheless neither of those things are munchers <laughs> no <laughs> munchers the better than or the, or the tetraminos <laughs> um i i kind of feel like we've already no we pretty much apart from like you know questions of level design i do think one of the interesting things that would separate this game from other games of its ilk is the idea that the field is uh, expanding and contracting on different levels that you actually have like a wider variety of, of level widths. I mean, I know that that's something that mm. columns did mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's an, an area that could be particularly interesting to explore. I do like the thought of like a, like a 18 wide. Yeah. Tetris arena. Yeah. Why you see not? where I'm going with Why this? Not? Um, and maybe it moves really fast, uh, and that's why you can, or, you know, I don't know, maybe pieces, uh, on certain levels enter from the side instead, mm -hmm. you know, and that could be, uh, something that can add challenge on, on a wider board. Um, but I think that there's a, a variety of things that we could do playing off of a kind of classic game design mm -hmm. with a fun theme. A fun classic, uh, classic uh, kind of call-out theme that makes absolutely no sense in relation to the actual universe from which it's drawn. But that doesn't matter in a game like this. What the fuck did Doctor Mario like have to do at all with right. anything Mario? It's like okay, I guess pills. You should, yeah, you should listen to the 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 Chocobo theme as well. It is a it is a constant throughout the series. Uh, one of those, one of those little things you get to do if you make, you know, 16 games in one franchise is you can have the Chocobo music be consistent throughout. I mean, you know, Paul, as we're wrapping up the segment and wrapping up this episode, uh, let's just, I'm sure there's going to be an advertisement here. Give me a second. I've got YouTube, uh, red if. Oh, no advertisement. 
I hope this is the Final Fantasy IX Chocobo theme because it's the best. Assuming that's what you're doing. Oh, of course that's what I'm doing. But no, it's uh oh. Uh oh. Now comes the uh oh. Stop share. Yeah, the other uh oh. Now the uh oh is I see a little a lot of ad breaks here. This is the Final Fantasy II Chocobo. Wonderful. Already a banger. Let's just kind of skip forward here. Just for your purposes. That ukulele. I played so much Chocobo Hot and Cold. This is great. This is great. I do, yeah. in fact, have to recognize. The baseline kicks in. A very, very good call. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was so. Twisted Chocobo Munchers from Auto Pedal Studios for this week's Make My Game. Which brings us to the final bit of the show, the goodbyes. And Moses, I know it's been a little uh, trickier for us to get together, but I uh, always enjoy it. And uh, any yeah. uh, any final thoughts from you this week? No, this was just an awkward pass, apart from the fact that I'll be out of pocket for a moment for Angelica's MFA graduation in May. Looking very much forward to celebrating my wife's completion of her MFA. Uh, I will, in fact, uh, we'll have episodes before then. But, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward. My final thought is I'm looking forward to doing some more gaming with you to uh, getting some um, some fall guys in. And actually, in relation to that. Oh, wait, no, I, I didn't draw that here. I drew it at work. Hmm. Well, never mind. It's going to have to wait until next time. I've been ruminating on my thought of the perfect baseball player. Um, OK. And, um, you know, to be continued, but. I feel like the Fall Guy Bean characters mm. are part of the template of what the baseball player is in the abstract before you apply any specific character to it. I can only see just imagine with like arms that can hold a bat and maybe slightly longer legs. I started right. sketching one today at work and I was <laughs> like, this is this, uh, this is what I want. This is what I want out of uh, not. I don't want this to be like a video game where I'm controlling this. I just want like a baseball player studio that has this as the template that then you can put stuff on top of it to make it into the different actual players so that much as people draw them in all kinds of awesome and wonderful ways that you could then easily assemble them into a scene together. I don't know. I don't know. That's my final thought. I'm still thinking about baseball. Baseball, we love you. Please come home. <laughs> Word. Well, uh, as always, Moses, thanks for being here with us this week. It was a delight, as always, Paul. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. You're the email. <laughs> you're, hashtag, you're the email. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.